Hey, this is Dan Kidder, and I'm coming to you with the latest of our Cedar City Council candidate interviews. And we have Sarah Rigel in the studio with us today. So the, for those of you who only see this video and don't see the rest, I, I apologize if you've watched all the rest of these. I'm going to run this down for you in each video. Um, the way that the council race works is not like a uh, county commission seat or a school board seat where you're running for a specific seat. You have three seats that are opening up on the council. You have uh, Craig Isom and Terry Hartley are not running for re-election. And Tyler Melling's seat is up for re-election, and he is running for re-election. And we had him in the studio the other day, and you can go find that interview to watch that. So we have seven candidates. We had eight. Uh, Mary Pearson dropped out, so I'm sure you saw a lot of her signs on the street, but they're all gone now. She's no longer a candidate. Um, so we have seven remaining, and because we have seven, not six, we have to have a primary in September. And one thing I don't, I don't think I've mentioned in any of the other videos is these are nonpartisan seats. So this isn't a Republican primary, a Democrat primary, a Libertarian, Independent. It, it's a nonpartisan seat. So it'll just be a general primary, and one person will be removed from the running for the general in November. So the general will come down to six candidates. And whoever the top three vote getters are will be elected to the council. So it's kind of like an episode of Survivor. You know, we'll just vote everybody off the island. <laughs> um, so joining me today here in the studio, we have Sarah Rigel. Yes. I, I'll get it. Sarah Rigel. And she is one of the candidates. And uh, Sarah, go ahead. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell people why you're running for council, your background, what you think everybody should know. And I'll start the timer right now. Okay, so Sarah Rigel, if you think of my last name, Ridge with an L, it's pretty simple. Um, I am a small business owner of Policy Kings Brewery. I grew up here in southern Utah, well, Parowan. I was born and raised in Parowan, and then I went to SUU, graduated there with my bachelor's, and after that, I went into work for a nonprofit for 12 years, working with um, adults and children with disabilities. That's one of my real true passions. Mm. Uh, did that for 12 years, worked as a director over the Southern Utah area. And then for the last year, I went up to Salt Lake and I worked in the homeless shelters, uh, working with housing programs. Okay. And so um, I have a lot of kind of background in that. My background is service. <clears throat> um, I just, the reason why I'm running it kind of just all envelops me being from here, being a small town. I'm a small town girl with a big city kind of um, attitude, I guess. Um, so I, being a small business owner, I've kind of just realized how I need to, we need to have voices. Um, also being a working class member of the community, it has kind of brought me challenges and noticing those challenges aren't really being uh, kind of taken care of. I decided this was, has been, I've been thinking about it for about, since we moved here, <laughs> since we moved back here in 2018 that I wanted to be a part of being a voice. Uh, I love being a leader. Um, and so I wanted to somehow be a voice in that. And this time around, I found out literally two days before the filing <laughs> um, because not a lot of time to mull yeah, that over yeah. and think is this a good idea yeah I kind of just was like well I guess it's my time and so 
I heard there were three seats open, and so I thought, I've got a chance. Um, and so I just went in at, let's see, 30 minutes before filing was due and went and filed my paperwork. And it's been a lot of fun uh, with like having my community find out that I'm running and them just being so elated and happy and excited to have um, a non-traditional, you know, candidate running. What do you mean when you say my community? Uh, I would say my small business community. Um, being own, owning the brewery, um, we get not your typical business yeah, in Cedar City, right? That's why I kind of refer to it as a non. I don't like that term, but um, just being a bar brewery owner, um, we have a different community, and so just running into people that have been affiliated with me or that I have built relationships with through my kids. You know, I'm a mom, I'm a wife also. And so just having those people find out or see my poster and not realize it and just be so excited that they feel like they can have someone that they can, they can finally vote for that they, that they know that they're excited for. So that's been exciting and it's, we'll see how it goes. I'm excited for it. So I've been into your place. I love it. It's awesome. Um, it, it's not your typical bar. Right, because it's a brewery. It's a brewery, <laughs> yes. it, but it's not even your typical brewery. It's yeah. just kind of like the neighborhood. It's like like if you you had a, a bar set up in your garage and you're just kind of hanging out with your buddies. It's just sort of very relaxed, laid back, open, a little bit loud because yes. you, you need carpet or something. <laughs> we, we put sound, we have soundboards up and things like that. But when you're in an entire, you know, the building has been around since the railroad. I, I think it's funny yes. that you're set up in the place where AA used to meet. Yes. <laughs> That's good. We, we have that asked all the time. So when I was growing up, that building was an antique store. Okay. And so, um, and then just to see how it's kind of just like come full circle to have so many different things um, that have come in that building. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we wanted that. It's just kind of like a cheers aspect. You come in, everyone yeah. knows you. Everybody knows you. Everybody's chill. Everybody's mm -hmm. relaxed. Everybody's very welcoming and, and warm. Um, there's an interesting story, too, with the name. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, the name comes from Chicago uh, and New York area. Uh, during the Prohibition era, it was an all-African-American um, group that brought the numbers game from Europe to the United States, which is... People wonder what the numbers game was, but it's what the lottery turned into. And so at the time, uh, the community members would run numbers. They would win money. That money would go back into the communities. And so everything was owned um, by the black community. And we just felt like being a black-owned business, uh, my husband is majority owner of our business, and he's a veteran also. We I was going to say, you're not black. No, I am white. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we're we're black-owned and female-led. And so um, we just felt like it was good because our children are going to run the business and they're black. And so we felt like that was important for that aspect to be. And we just love to educate people. About yeah, it's because you, you, you look at it and you go, OK, you got to tell me the story of this name. And then you get that little tidbit of history. And it's kind of it's really interesting. Yeah. To me. I'm a history buff. So I like Yeah, it's fun to look up. We, we have a book um, that's there that kind of shows pictures and history about it. But most people that come, they think policy is about Utah policy. No. <laughs> and I, I'm not even touching that. But um, like, well, but in those communities, those people who participated in that numbers, it gave them opportunities that otherwise they wouldn't have right. had. Right. And so it was kind of the people pulling together 
to throw their funds at this person who happened to be the lucky winner, lift them up a little bit and then get their chance. Yeah. And they were millionaires, you know, yeah. even when prohibition ended and uh, bootlegging was done, um, they were still bringing in millions of dollars. And so um, it's, a, it's a fun history. And we use we use every turn to educate people on things they may not know um, with beer culture just just all around just having letting people come into a space where they feel comfortable and safe so yeah and and you do feel comfortable and safe there right i was a bouncer in a bar here for nine years and i you know there were times i didn't feel very comfortable and yeah, safe yeah. <laughs> um but i've never felt any of that uh that the just oppressive angry drunk uh yeah we don't we don't get, get that which is we don't get that we don't really from the beginning, we haven't really encouraged that, yeah. um, and we haven't tolerated it, and so we have kind of built a, a platform of, no, this is what we want. You got giant Jenga sets yep. and games, and, and yeah, it's just a really welcoming, friendly place. Um, so what would you say are your, I, I won't ask you to pick a number, because everybody's number will be different, but what, what are your top priorities um, if you were elected to city council? Well, I kind of went into a couple of them, but uh, one of my top priorities are small businesses. Um, and when I say small businesses, I say um, all there are so many small businesses in this community mm -hmm. that some people don't even know about. Um, and a lot of the times there's the small businesses that the community knows about and that's what they support. But there's also these amazing small businesses that are still bringing economic growth to our community that aren't noticed. And so I think just having someone on the council that voices that and that sits and says, hey, well, actually, did you know about this business? Did you know about this business? Because that's not being done right now. Right. Um, and so you don't feel like you're getting that through the Chamber of Commerce. So I'm not a member of the chamber anymore. Um, that's another story, but I support them. Um, but we kind of just build our own chamber. You know, I, I kind of just work on collaborating with businesses as much as I can, and I try to keep as much as we can local. It's very hard with the business we're in to keep a lot of our stuff local. But um, And then I'm a working class family. Um, working class and housing has been the biggest issue for my family. Mm. So I think out of most of the candidates, I'm probably the one that can really empathize with people who are struggling with housing and struggling. You know, we're renting. Uh, we sold our home in... Um, West Jordan and put all that money into starting our business down here. And so then we had to go back into renting, which it's not great. I think you spent all your money on corrugated yeah. steel roofing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, we didn't have to pay for the roofing. <laughs> that roofing was already there. The corrugated steel yes. was all over. I love it. Um, and so, but we did, we invested everything into it. So it was all of our own capital. And so we have been dealing with housing struggles just like everyone else in the community. Um, and then you know, dealing with and then being a working class family, I'm I'm in my building in my business working every day, going to the businesses and seeing everybody, you know, struggle or not or how they're doing and excelling. And well, in your type of business, I mean, you see that fluctuation when yes. times are down, you get less customers. Win winter time, winter time in Cedar City is not great. I mean, it's people just don't come out anymore. And, you know, I know how small businesses and tourism just drives our community. But my goal is to get our, our local community to drive us as well. Right. And How much of your business is from local versus the, the tourism? I would probably say 70-30. Tourism 70 is 70. Tourism? Mm -hmm. Really? That high? Yeah. So we get... The great thing that I think that 
our business, other businesses that when people search, right? When they search in Google, our whole goal when we, when we came here was to, be, to make Cedar City a stopping point instead of people just driving through on the interstate to search something and be like, oh, let me stop. When they stop to see us, they stop to go get a coffee, they stop to go get some food, you know, and so it just all is a whole circle of just economic growth. And so, and then uh, I know everyone talks about it, but affordable housing, it's, it's, a, it's a problem here. Um, do I have an answer? I have a few, um, but I'm not gonna talk about all of them today. We got we got a, a yeah. lecture to find out what they are. Or we have our, we, no, we got our, <laughs> we got our debate coming up on the thirty first, and I want to save a little bit to talk about uh, with the community there. But affordable. I was going to ask you if you'd been invited to that. Oh yeah, because Robert was here just a second ago. I haven't even heard about it. He probably got an email and didn't realize it because it may have gone to his spam. Okay, that's where I found mine. If you're, um, if you're I sent him all the details. Yeah, so he's, he'll be there. <laughs> good, good, because everyone needs to be there so we can all like have our voice. But. Um, I just, you know, when I was dealing with the same thing as a landlord deciding that they wanted to sell, you know, the house up from under you and you having 30 days to find a new place in Cedar City, and that's a struggle. Yeah. And then, um, you know, because for lack of a better word, just because we are small business owners does not mean all of us are millionaires. Oh, all small business owners yeah. are filthy rich. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, a, I've heard that so many that's times. A, that's a real misconception in Cedar City. Um, Luckily for us, I don't have a second. We don't have second jobs. We we do survive strictly on our business. Yeah. Which how many times do you not take a paycheck? Quite a few. Yeah. Yes, it's a small business a, owner. I can quite a few. To that. You know, I have I have full staff, um, and so I make sure always that they are they are always paid. Yeah. Um, and we appreciate all of our community and everyone that comes through to support them. You know, I do hire college students, but they love what they do. And they gain some good like job skills and things like that for what they take on. And some I do try to convince to stay yeah. uh, because that's kind of a hard thing with me graduating from SUU to get people to stay in our community. How has that been for you finding employees? Because I've talked to a lot of small <laughs> business owners right now and they're telling me that, and part of that is the housing issue is, is service uh, job people can't afford to live in the community and they're having a hard time finding people to work. Yeah, you know, I don't really know what the answer is because <clears throat> we've raised our wages a couple of times um, to kind of accommodate for the housing increase as much as a small business can. People need to, and I guess people need to understand that um, we did, we got into small business to work for ourselves, to provide a great environment, to do the opposite of what we were getting at another business sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes we're, we're figuring out in the back end of how we can make sure our employees are surviving before we do. And the nice thing is those dollars that are being mm -hmm. made there stay yep. here. Yep, they they're are. not going to some corporate office yep. in Minneapolis. Yep, they stay here and they're spent here. So I think that's for bartenders. We call them beer tenders. We tend to get students, um, which they're okay with a fluctuating you know, check or we hire athletes when they're off season. Yeah. Um, so we have a football player and we have a... a uh, someone on the track team working for us right now um, and then a couple other SU students and then the hardest area that we've had is our brew house to try to find someone to train uh, to intern or to apprentice yeah, that's a pretty technical to learn skill. how to brew yes and so but that's a career and so that's been the hardest part uh, to find somebody to fill that position that is the hardest position and where most of the work goes 
Um, it's the pandemic brought in. It's, it's just been a different um, struggle of trying to find people to work because you have people that can work remote jobs or. I honestly don't know how everyone's making money. <laughs> that's just I, the I reality, don't either. You know? I, just crazy. Let me know. That's all yeah. I got to say. So that's been the hardest struggle. And I know small businesses and I try to talk with them and I try to send employees over or I try to like give them advice of how I've hired, you know, and anytime I run into any of them when we chat, um, I try to just, we've got to help each other out, you know, because we're the only ones who know what we're going through. Yeah. So. All right. Well, you know, I, I imagine making beer uses a little bit of water it does so i'm sure water's got to be uh one of your issues that you're concerned about what do you what are your thoughts on our water situation here yeah i know that the hard part is water is is an issue everywhere um and i don't think anyone has has really been able to come up with the exact answer or we'd have excessive amounts of water everywhere um but our water um, that we use. I don't want to focus too much um, on what we use because it does, what we use is directly um, consumed. Consumed, yeah. Yes. It's not getting wasted. Right. And anything that we do waste goes directly into um, our waste that we do waste goes directly into the ground. And so it fertilizes anything like that. That's per. So I work a lot with the pretreatment facility um, and because we have to go through a lot of restrictions and a lot of guidelines of how we utilize the water and what we discharge and things like that. But I know that they did just get the water rights. Um, my, o- my only question is, how are we paying for those water rights? That's always been my question that nobody's been able to answer. Um, are our taxes going to go up? Are so the we've always taxes- run a, a, I don't know, what, $3 million surplus? Right. And I think we're tapping into that finally. Yeah, because I know they're going to they're gonna, they have to put down four million, and then they'll have the rest. I think it's about eight or nine million that they have to uh, get a bond for that. Um, but that's forty years. So again, forty years seems like a long time, but time is traveling. Seems to be going so fast that my kids are going to be around. You know, at oh, that your end. grandkids will yeah. be paying my for kids, that bond exactly. Yeah. And so it's. And so just tapping into, you know, like the other resources, the, the, colon, the water that we use maybe to um, water lawns, can we use that to, you know, I heard you speak a little bit about that gets used. Can we use it to, you know, feed the animals and things like that and tap into other resources? You know, I think it would be great to, and this is just a thought, um, if we could have more self-sustaining um, residents who can save water rainwater we did have luckily an amazing wet well, we year we had a lot we had we either have too much or yeah, not at all i know it's it's never no goldilocks yeah it's never just right um and so i think the real thing is can we put that into effect where they save and reuse waters water and the city has some kind of a rebate system for that for residents that do that um and then i know that the state has that rebate where dollar 50 a square foot you you change your yard up i mean that's a good influx of money to not have to waste water um but i i really don't honestly think anyone's going to have an answer but does that does that mean any of us are going to stop no or i mean everyone even if i'm not um elected i'm always trying to figure out how i cannot use too much water you right. know whether it's my kids 
running the, the faucet while they're brushing their teeth or they walk off and you're just trying to teach. You know, we've got to teach our younger generation how to preserve water. Yeah, the conservation is conservation of it. piece of that. And I think education is huge um, because we may talk about water all the time, but how are we educating our residents on ways that they can? Right. Um, and so first it's education on what they can do for right now. I know that the water, the water bill went into effect for you pay what you use. Um, so I'm sure that will be affecting uh, the businesses also. Um, but if I use it, I should be paying for it. So yeah. that, so those are some ideas, but they're, they're not perfect, but I think continuing to work on it together. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of focus on getting more water, not as much focus on conserving the water that right, we have. Right, right, and we have to do that somehow. So, so we, we get about a billion gallons a year of water from the sewage treatment plant, and it's a type 2 affluent water, so it's not used for culinary purposes. It's secondary water for watering the lawns and alfalfa and corn for animals, not for people. Um, currently, that water is pretty much going in one spot. And in the wintertime, it's just going out into a field and evaporating and not going where it is, is not going into the aquifer. Right, right. What would you say to getting that water to where it can go to a recharge, filter through, you know, a trillion billion ton uh, water filter and, and go back into the aquifer and building that infrastructure? I feel like that's probably more of a long term rather than, you know, we're spending the money towards uh, shorter term water rights doing something like that where you can pasteurize and filter the water where it's a long-term solution. Reusing water is another way of conserving water. And so there's places like South Jordan, places up in Northern Utah that are already doing something like that. And it's, I think it's really worth a long-term thing um, for my kids, you know, for other people's kids and their grandkids to not have to stress about and worry that they are going to dry out. And just being able to, um, again, educate on conservation, right? Um, I know it'll take ordinances and changes and things like that, but I've worked with the pretreatment and the water facility, and you can get things done if you all, if you all equally work together and you're all in the same, you have the same vision of what you're trying to do. I think part of the, the whole poo water issue is psychological. Yeah, because I worked on a, a, a thermophilic processing plant project in Georgia, and it was a hundred million dollar project. The federal government was funding it as a pilot project, and at the end of the the process, the water that was coming out, the director of the plant put it in a glass and drank it. And this is water that came directly out of the sewage treatment plant. Um, so, if you want to spend a hundred million dollars. It's very easy to get water that's completely drinkable and safe. And, but I think psychologically, people are like, mm. yeah. But if they really think about it, all the water in the world, somebody's peed in at some point. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean when you go to the pool, you know, right. if you go to the lake, I mean, it's happening. But it's, it's an option to look at, definitely, and kind of research it. You definitely, you can't just, and it's wording. Everything that you do and you put out is yeah. wording and how it's going to We need to go. stop calling it the poo water. Yes. <laughs> I, that's you, Dan. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. I get that from others. <laughs> I actually have never heard that term, but I call it type 2 it. affluent. Yes. Yeah, type 2, I mean, if I know anything about, I know terms, right? Yes. Because we have so many terms and like I actually have to go fill out my pretreatment. I have to do a quarterly report that I send in um, because our facility does not discharge to sewer. 
And so um, we we discharge to the lot next to us, and that lot is it's fertilizer. It's just growing now. You should plant corn there. Yeah. You can go full cycle. Yeah, I mean you, <laughs> the trees are doing really well over there. Um, so I mean, there's it's like I'd go back to education, um, teaching people how to conserve water. Do I think that long term putting something like that into effect is efficient? I feel like if we if we talked about it and researched it, it could be something that we could utilize. Do we have to necessarily drink it or could we use that water for something else that won't go and in, come into the water that we're drinking? I think I, I think almost in a hundred years, every city in the West is gonna be drinking their poo water. They probably will. You know. But I mean we've uh, I mean everything I wouldn't have a problem if I knew it was filtered. Right. Right? You know it's filtered, you know it's pasteurized, you know that it's gone through and again, if I know anything about the treatment facility, they get their job done. Yeah. They follow the book. They follow the guidelines. They do not stray. I've tried to get them to stray. <laughs> um, they don't stray from it. So if I trust anybody to be effective in getting that done, I, I trust the, the pre-treatment facility. That facility needs to be used for more than just what it is right now. Right. It's a, it's a gorgeous facility out there, but it needs to be... We need to utilize every aspect of what we have. So now, now, speaking of how strict they are, how do you find as a as a bar owner the regulatory environment in Cedar City for small businesses? Well, so I work with all of it. I work with the regulatory pre-treatment. So I don't have a grease trap in our facility. Um, the process was confusing to me. Uh, that's another another kind of reason why I'm running is I understand the zoning, I understand licensing, I understand building. I, I had to go through all of that to get our business open. Did you find that whole process to very, be helpful? It the was city not, was helpful? No. Or they were not helpful? They were not help. Some of them were. There were one or two that were very helpful, and then there were a few that just they just did not want to help. Uh, they're not here in, at the city anymore. But the process of trying to find like information guidelines, um, like uh, a list of what you need and what's required. I mean, it's it's daunting, you know, just as daunting as trying to get an, a liquor license in the state of Utah. Oh, God help you. Yeah. So um, so that's that's the hard part is it's just getting everyone to work together. And I keep saying that, but if we could just work together and the city would educate and they would help a small business owner instead of sometimes when you go in there, they they seem annoyed because they're yeah. overworked and they're underpaid. Some of and, them. and that's a that's feedback that I get from a lot of people is they feel like the city is there to be an impediment to the development of small business more than it is to be an asset to uh, to assist. There's no customer service. Um, and I've experienced that myself. And you just kind of go, wow, this is must be nice to work for a government because yeah. if I were in private sector, that wouldn't, that wouldn't fly. Right. It wouldn't work out. And so, um, a lot of times businesses will come to another business and they'll ask like, you know, how did, how did you do this? Or how did you go about this? Or, um, can you help me with this, 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 and this, especially if it's related to alcohol? Um, because we, we have three separate licenses with yeah. the state. And so we know each, each license and how to go about it. So, um, I just wish we would just get more, stop focusing so much on talking about getting something done and just getting it done. If I know anything from working for nonprofits, that's all they do in nonprofits. 
they sit and talk about having a committee and talk about getting something done. Yeah. But they don't just get it done in the five in the meeting that they could get it done in. Um, I feel like that's what I can bring to the table is that that kind of insistence of okay, we don't need to push this aside. We can make a decision last like right now. Now, I mean, the system is set up to be a little bit laborious yes. because you don't want hasty decisions. Oh, yeah, yeah, never, never. So with city council, you have your consent meetings where they look at different items and they they have hearings and they decide to move those to the action meeting. And I was just there last night. Okay. (laughs) I was just there getting an event approved. But what I did like is that usually I have to wait to come back at Mm -hmm. the next meeting to get approved. But I did like that they moved to approval per, um, like, per number. They, they, They talk about the number... Um, no matter how labor intensive it was, and then they'd they'd vote to approve it. And so I really like that because for a business owner trying to come back to two right. meetings and then sitting there for the entire time to find out if you're approved because I was the last one on the agenda. Um, Number 31 or something? Yeah, it was actually a short one today. <laughs> okay. It was actually a short one. There were only 13 items on the agenda. Okay. Um, and so... But I like the city council sat there and the members, they talked and they were they figured out something right then and there. And that was the first time that I had all I had ever seen all five of them interactively conversate about something that was going on. And so I enjoyed that part because yeah. that's what I like. You know, you can't sit up there and be stoic and almost asleep, you know, when you're supposed to be paying attention and interacting and conversating with everybody. Because and there are a few members who are highly engaged. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Scott Phillips and Tyler Melling are probably the two most um, that stay um, engaged with what's going on. Yeah. But I got to hear finally from the other three uh, last night, which I liked because I was like, good, I want to hear like your voice. I want to hear what you have to say about what's going on. Um, but yeah, we were, I have to go anytime I need an event that revolves around alcohol approved. It'd be nice if there was like some kind of a license that let you do events that involved alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> if you yeah. abused it, then you lose it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's more so the state, right? Yeah. So that's something the city just has to do this part. And then you go to the state and then the state is, it's a whole other process of like a 20 page thing you have to put together to get an event approved. So I love what Ronald Reagan said. He said, people look to government for solutions, not realizing that government is the problem. If I say, if I say <laughs> anything about working for the state, cause I, I, I did do that when I worked, um, we were in, I was in charge and helped with the Operation Rio Grande up in Salt Lake. It's just a lot of paperwork. Yeah. It's a lot of paperwork. Um, writing grants and uh, working with housing and case managers and with the state and the government. You know, just everything. It's, it's a lot of paperwork. And it now, seems that bureaucrats don't understand <laughs> that running a business is a full-time job. Yeah. You don't need another full-time job in complying with all of the regulations and laws and, and stuff that they enact and put, put in front of you. Um, as we look at what's going on in Cedar City, we're seeing tremendous growth. We're at 12% now. We, we've been 3% for decades, and now we're suddenly at 12% growth. Um, how do we grow with that influx of new people coming in? I'm kind of I'm torn in this because for a business owner, the growth is great for us. For all the small businesses, um, bringing in people from out of state, um, it helps us. 
especially a business like mine. Right. We're bringing in people from out of state who they drink on a normal basis. The Relief Society is not going to meet yeah. at your yeah. place. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, I do have plenty of people that I accept all that come sure. in. And we've got Diet Coke and we've got we've got soda. Um, so we have people from all walks of life that come in and they feel comfortable. But um, I don't I don't know. It's. I want that per- for my business. But personally, you know, since I grew up in Parowan, it's 2,500 people. I had a graduating class of 65. That was one of the biggest classes. <laughs> and so, I mean, you knew everybody, you know, and then my son and my daughter go to school here and their classes are like, you know, three to 500 and they don't know everybody in their classes. Yeah. Um, and so it's growing. I've, that's my mixed feelings. Now, my personal feelings is I can't get into a house, right? So it's growing so fast and people are coming in and I, I love people coming in from out of state. I want to be very open with that. I love that people love our community. They want to come in. They've seen it. They want to come in and they want to enjoy it. And we have beautiful scenery and we have beautiful parks and it's, it's a great community. Um, but the bottom line is it affects the people that are here, you know, and from you know, someone like me or someone, uh, you know, my neighbor from buying a house yeah. and uh, from buying a, re- buying a rental or um, getting into something because they're all, they're all taken. I, I don't think that the more that we promote Cedar City as I love my Visit Cedar City group, they, they come and they help us with so much with the small businesses. I love um, the, the tourism center here, but the, the downside is we promote Cedar City is so much. You see the videos, you see the pictures. You're like, I'm moving there. I yeah. love it. Look how beautiful it is. Um, and with that comes a lot of transportation, traffic, uh, housing. You know, it's things that we have. The city has to constantly be moving, and researching, and evolving, and seeing how you know other cities what they did wrong and what they did right and what worked and what didn't. And you can't ever stop trying to figure that out because. Growth isn't going to stop. Well, in the way, as slow as everything moves with city government. Yes. Well, any government. Yes, any government. As slow as it moves, by the time that you get a project completed, you've moved on to the next level of growth. And you're you're always building to obsolescence. You're not building for the future and planning and and that expansion. Um, So I don't, I I mean, I I hate it because I don't have an answer. You know, I don't have an answer for the growth that's happening because... For I'm speaking for all the small businesses because we want that. Um, but as a family, you know, we're kind of torn because um, where do we go? Where do we fit in? You know, someone that's, you know, middle, lower class. Um, how do we get into a home? How do we, you know, provide for our families when it's growing? And with the growth, there aren't coming a ton of jobs. Right. And and that's a really, that's something I want to work on is I don't, trying to figure out how I can create more jobs for the community, but that... But it seems like we can't fill the jobs we have for some Well, and that's a big thing I, I, I listen to somebody is we don't have ad- we, ho- we don't have adequate transportation. We don't have an adequate, adequate transportation system here in Cedar. CATS does a great job and they do what they can, but it's, it's not enough when you're growing, mm-hmm. um, especially when I lived up in Salt Lake and the track system was very efficient, you know, um, when I lived in West Jordan, we didn't have the, the track system, didn't go by where I was. You're going to bring high-speed rail to Cedar no, City? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I think that was talked about in an election don't, a couple of years put, ago. <laughs> don't put me on. <laughs> don't put words in my mouth, Dan. No, I, I do not want to bring that. But if we want, like, 
these residents to be able to get jobs at the factories that are out on Highway 56 that are some good paying jobs and some of them don't have cars, uh, how are they going to get there? How are they going to get that job? There in turn, how are they going to get that job and then they can get in a house and then they can afford to get... It's a whole cycle that happens when you're trying to get someone to just have a leg up. And well, so you open the door for something. I'm going to ask you a question I haven't asked any of the other candidates um, because it's something that I'm noticing and it, it really troubles me. Um, our homelessness population yes. is growing. Yes. And uh, we've had Karen Sharon here and, and talked to them and um, some of the other groups that help with that. Uh, we've talked about intergenerational poverty and, and things of that nature. Um, but what do you see on the city council that you can do to help us cope with the the higher numbers of those who are homeless? I think the good thing is that I'm the only one that has experience. Um, even though it was a year, it was a year of being thrown into on the streets with the homeless. Like um, the program that I worked with was actually called a, it was within the Midvale shelter and it was a diversion, a diversion housing program. So what happened was people were just coming to the shelter because they heard that we had free housing and our goal for our program was to divert them to another family member, right? To contact family, to be like, we, we don't have housing, but we have funds that can get you to, we can get you bus tickets to your family. We, we contact them. We make sure things are set up. Um, and that was one program that they had set up. The thing that I notice is that there are no adequate housing programs here. Right. And... That's one thing that I... Or mental health programs no, or no, drug no, no. treatment programs. And they all go in one. Yeah, they do. And they all go full circle. And so case management... Do you think that's a resource issue? We're just not spending enough resources yes. on it? Or is it a... It's not top of mind to people to, I think, to that, think about it? I think the problem is, is a lot of times uh, people like that are forgotten. And if we pretend that it's not an issue, it will go away. Right. Uh, but all you have to do is go for a hike up the canyon, yep. and you see the camps, and yep. you know everybody talks about San Francisco's streets. Well, they don't have canyons like we do for all the homeless people to go and congregate in, but you go for a walk up there alongside the, the creek, and it's just camp after camp after camp, piles of trash. But here's the problem is um, Cedar City residents don't want homeless people to be here, so they're okaying that they go out there. Yep. That's not adequate. Um, you need full wraparound services. For especially it. in the wintertime. Mm -hmm. like people die. Yep, up in Salt Lake all the time. Um, especially in Salt Lake, it happened all the time. It happens all the time. And now down here, we have that issue. And we can't ignore it. You know, um, housing, the housing programs that I worked with, they had um, grants they applied for through the state. There's plenty of funds to access that we're not accessing for housing. And it's going to take somebody to help people, guide them in the right direction, to help them with their deposit to help them with finding jobs, to help them stay with those jobs and have that wraparound case management when they're in homes because you can't just throw someone who has been homeless for five years into a home and then walk out and expect that they're gonna know exactly how to function fully. Right. Because that's not how they've been functioning um, for the last five years. So um, I think that is the one thing that I have that I haven't noticed that anybody else has is experience with our homeless community and working with them one-on-one -on -one. Um, and the you know the Karen share is doing a great job but if they don't have resources and they don't have a facility how can they adequately help right and so um, 
I would I'm I'm ready to realize that they're there and not forget that they and so you're they saying there are them. ways to address this without raising yes. taxes yep. and creating yep. big programs and yep there's grants and there are all kinds of programs out there that you can get um the housing programs that you can get them into that they can access these funds that helps you with your first month's rent your last month's and it actually pays for case management and things like that so there's resources out there that I would know how to access because that's what I did. And I have a lot of connections with the Salt Lake, um, all the Salt Lake housing departments to reach out and, you know, see how we can bring a little bit of help here. And that just helps our economy, you know, and we have them in homes and they're safe and we don't have to, we can't pretend and let someone die in the Canyon because we didn't want to think that, we didn't. We wanted to pretend that they didn't exist, and that's that's one extreme. Yeah. Then the other extreme is I, I volunteer from time to time with the Utah Food Bank distributions, mm-hmm. and and we've watched the lines get longer and longer and longer. Now these are people who are not homeless. Yes. Yet, but are they're on that cusp of not being able to afford nutritious food or provide enough meals for their family. Um, and, and that's gotten longer. I've joked that that's Joe Biden's breadlines of the, you know, the Great Recession or the Great Depression. Um, it's just been growing longer and longer and longer. How long before those people cross that threshold and no longer have a house with the housing shortages and the growth? And- well, the great thing with the programs that I'm talking about is they have programs like that also that will help people stay housed. Because if you want anything, um, you want someone to stay housed. So you're going to work with them. That case management can also go to help them um, stay housed, help them access food, help them access the, these resources that they might may not know through workforce services that they can even apply for. Um, and so not that you want them to to depend on that because you're working to get them on their independence, but there's full wraparound services to make sure that those people do not become unhoused because that's the first thing you don't want to happen. Right. So. Yeah, and talking to Karen Share, the number, of, I think there's 300 and something children who are homeless. Yep. And it's just that. And they're within our school districts. And this community. Yeah. Yep. And they're in our school districts. And Because I've seen the generosity of this community yes. when it comes together. And I think it's, it's more an issue of not being aware of where the specific need is and being able to address that specific need. Yeah. And I think just bringing it to light um, is is super important for so then our community can be like oh well let how can we help right and then we start to work towards donate money to care and share yeah definitely definitely um i want to ask you one more question that i've asked every candidate and so coming up in november uh there is a reauthorization for the recreation arts and parks tax and Last Saturday, the Johnson Center, recipient of $14,000 of wrap funds, held a uh, paint night and drag uh, party for a drag event for children. Sorry, I had a fly flying in my face. Um, what are your thoughts on that whole situation, the wrap tax, tax dollars being used for that type of event? So I was actually at the meeting when uh, all of the recipients were um, getting up and talking about what they were going to be doing. And the Levitts did get up and they did speak and they reassured everybody that if they did host this event, that wrap tax funds were not going to be utilized for that, that it was going to be a private event. Now, um, once they are funded, which I think it was only 12000 once they were funded, um, the city, they can't regulate what content they have at their space. Would I take my children 
to a, a drag event uh, for families? No. But does that mean that I am going to inc incite hate for what they're doing and not try to educate and understand what's happening? Absolutely not. Because Policy Kings, we host a drag night once a month for adults. For adults. Yes. Um, and it's a trivia drag night, right? We, we integrate trivia night and we have drag performers, which are SU students, professors, community members. And nobody I've talked to has expressed any concern that there was a drag event. It's it was that, that it, it was, was all families. It was right? for families and, and, and right. children. And I just chose, we had our beer fest that day, right? So it was going on at the exact same time. Um, I chose not to take my children. You know, um, I can't regulate what, and I can't, I guess being in the business that we're in and being who we are as a, fa as a family and business owners, we have felt that side of hate and, um, maybe just ignorance and just um, not belonging. And so um, whether I agreed with that it was open to families um, was up to my own personal choice to not go. But I would never go and make someone feel that they don't belong. Um, and nor can the city let them know what they can and can't do if they're not using their wrap taxes. Nor can they tell them what content um, they can provide after they've utilized that wrap tax. Um, and that was just the arts tax, right? We have the recreation and the parks and trails. But um, I guess I, I'm kind of in the middle of it, you know, because we provide at our business a place where all people belong and all people feel safe and all people feel comfortable. And in our community, I feel like we need to show that. We need to show that we 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 belong. You know, that's what we have on the the billboards and the written everywhere that you belong, but do we? And that's my question, you know, like um, at the meeting last night, every meeting I've gone to, there's been some, some people that have gotten up and they have the freedom to say what they want to say. And I, I didn't say anything, you know, because um, we provide it already. Right. I don't want to stop you too no, soon, but you good. got about a minute you're and a half. Okay. So tell people how to get in touch with you, find out more about your positions, send you money, get a yard sign. Perfect. So I actually have a website. It is called Sarah, number four, uh, Cedar City. Uh, so it's www.sarahforcedarcity.com. And directly on there, you can register to vote. You can uh, donate to my campaign. It kind of gives you, it gives you all of my information. If I'm doing kind of meet and greets once a month, at different businesses. I have a meet and greet uh, at the Paiute Tribe on the 14th of this month from 6 to 8. Um, and so I I have my Instagram. I have Facebook. You know, where I'm big on social media. I'm a millennial. And so uh, we're big on social media. I post all the time. So I, give us those addresses. That is, uh, it's just Sarah's, Sarah Rigel 4, it's the number 4, uh, City Council. <laughs> I like had to think for a minute. <laughs> but yeah, so those are all my Instagrams, you know, all my social medias, my website. Um, yard signs are at my business. So if you want to come in or if you want one, I can deliver one to you. I've got those um, all set up. I've still got two banners so that I need to set and up. So. a good place to get those right, would be Monday yes. at 530 for the meet and greet at the uh, Hunter Conference Center at SUU. The uh, Michael O. Levitt Center for Government and Community Service will be hosting um, 
they call them debates. We don't really have debates in Cedar City. They're more of a nice little softball forum. I'm a, I'm a D.C. political animal. Um, I know what a debate is, and, and that ain't it. They call it but a discussion. A discussion, yeah. yes. <laughs> but it is a good forum, and it's an opportunity for uh, you to learn more about those candidates and to meet them in person and to pick up a yard sign and to slip a check in their hand. And I, I have no problem. I'm shameless when it comes to asking for money. And I'm going to ask for money right now. So I started a nonprofit called the Friends of the Iron County Sheriff uh, last year. And due to the generosity of the people of Cedar City, we were able to raise $30,000 for additional mental health for our first responders who had to uh, respond to the hate killings in Enoch uh, earlier this year. And with that, we've been able to purchase over 100 hours of additional mental health training uh, uh, care for those first responders. And it is time for us to start a new campaign. And the sheriff has identified that we are in desperate need of a canine that is trained in explosives and firearms. So we are started Operation Woof. And you can go to friendsoficsheriff.org. And there's a great big uh, picture of a bomb dog on top of an exploding bomb and you can click on that and we would love it if you would help us to bring that resource to our community currently what happens is if a bomb call gets called in or a, a gun gets called in at a school we have to wait for the state or we have to wait for uh, St. George to send that resource here and that can take hours and those hours could potentially become tragedy. So having that resource here in our community is a, a paramount concern that's been identified by the sheriff and unfortunately the county just doesn't have the budget for that right now. So through your generosity going to friendsoficsheriff.org, we are asking you to please help us to raise $20,000 which will purchase that, that dog, get them trained, get them outfitted and have have that resource in our community. Community. Uh, this has been Dan Kidder with the uh, Southern Utah Citizens for Ethical Government and the Cedar City Politics and What's Really Happening in Southern Utah, the podcast. And we want to thank Sarah for being here with thank us. You. And we are slotted to have every one of the candidates for city council in. Um, as soon as you leave, I'm going to have Mark Mumford come on in here. Nice. And then we'll have Brittany Fisher tomorrow. And that will round out all seven um, and then I can sleep because I haven't slept in a week. So uh, I want to thank everybody who's watching this and sharing this. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next one.